0: Uh, certain jobs around here. <laughs> How are we doing in the parking lot? You hear us out there? Give me a honk. Oh good, good. I, I like to hear those honks because then I know, you know, this, the words that are being spoken here, they're going places that we can't even see. And then our Zoom crowd, Amanda here, has been helping with uh, signing and everything. Sometimes Charlie joins us in the fam, I think, so good morning, anyone who is on that format. Good morning, anyone who are uh, whatever time of day, I guess it is, for any people online who listen to these sermons later on. So, uh, here we are. We are just plowing through Acts. We are in the home stretch, and we have a little bit of distance to go yet. And just to Remind us where we were last week. I try to just briefly go over what we talked about the week before, just to help those lessons sink in and to remind us again of some of the ground we've covered. And I think when we get to the end of Acts, we're going to do a big review of all of the main points. And I'm going to try to put something together to give you, maybe if you want or are interested, a handout or something that. Uh, can share some of those points and the big ideas, and then you, when you're, in, you're doing your own study of Acts in the future, you can see some of the points that we uh, uh, chewed on together as a congregation. So this first section, uh, the first observation, was based on this verse from 24-27. When two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus, but because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. So Paul is stuck. Two years is a long time to be stuck at the whim of a system that really doesn't seem to care a whole lot about you. So just like Paul was stuck in prison for two years, uh, when have circumstances forced you to wait in your life, and how do you handle being forced to wait on the Lord, and what is the Lord trying to show you about your own heart when you are stuck and forced to wait? You know, we're, we're a people who don't like to wait. We want the end of whatever the problem is right away. We want the end of uh, certain things before they even begin. But uh, the restlessness, the anger, the anxiety, the stress we carry, you know, all of those things mean something. And if we will let those things teach us things about ourselves, our own hearts, and our own needs, there are some great lessons that we can learn in the desert places of our life. So, where are you stuck? A A relationship situation, a health situation, a faith situation. Have you considered how God is working in that circumstance? So then the second major takeaway that we had from Acts 24, verse 25, as Paul discoursed on righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, That's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. The word begins to penetrate. The word of the Lord, it begins to get in sometimes, and it makes its mark. And uh, just like the problem Felix has, that's a problem that we have as well. So I asked us this, this question, what are the times in your life when the gospel was starting to break through that you ignored it instead of acting on it and letting it have its full effect? And so we need to ask, how, are, how am I brushing off or ignoring or turning away from the hard words the Lord may be asking me to consider and act on? So... We tend to do that because uh, we think the things that we're being invited to consider are too hard and they're just too difficult. Uh, Ain't nobody got no time for this kind of thing. And so we say we put this in a box and we set it aside. And when we get around to it, the problem is that box just seems to get fuller and fuller and fuller. And we never get around to it. And behaviors become more and more dysfunctional. Coping mechanisms seem to get worse and worse and worse. And in the end, they're feeding the problem more than they're actually help, helping with anything. Sometimes the fix we need is to let the Word of God do its work. And to instead of fight against it and try to hide it and ignore it, to surrender to it and act on it in faith. Those are not easy things, and those are not easy lessons. So this morning, our text moves us on, and we will see there has been a change in the politicians of Paul's day. We can relate with that. Looks like there's changes amidst uh, going on in our land. And so now we're going to see how Paul fares under new political leadership, And so that's where our text has us today. Three days after arriving in the province, Festus, the new guy in town, went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem, where the chief priests and Jewish leaders appeared before him and presented the charges against Paul. And they urgently requested Festus as a favor to them to have Paul transferred to Jerusalem, for they were preparing an ambush to kill him along the way. So apparently, being locked up for two years, it wasn't long enough for their murder vendetta against Paul to go away. See, the Jewish leadership, these Jewish people, they're in an the ancient Jewish culture. It still exists in Judaism today, I think. It's an honor-shame culture. And Paul had made a lot of Jewish leaders look very bad. He had embarrassed a lot of people. Um, and so in a culture where everything is about the public image and about saving face, their hurts and grievances against Paul, are, they go very deep. And so they request as a favor for Festus uh, to deliver them to this court uh, that they're in charge of uh, with the intent of ambushing. And so they make this request after two years, it seems to be the, the chief thing in their mind as far as the Romans are concerned. Hey, Felix left this guy there, but he just needs to be gone. We need to get rid of him. Let us, but, uh, and so they ask as a favor. A favor would be something a new po- politician might be inclined to look favorably in that situation to... Um, to uh, help grease the relationship. But Festus, he's got a little bit of a backbone at least. He answered, Paul is being held at Caesarea, and I myself am going there soon. Let some of your leaders come with me and press charges against the man there if he has done anything wrong. So Festus, he's not willing to commit himself before a trial happens. After spending eight or ten days with them, he went down to Caesarea, and the next day he convened the court and ordered that Paul be brought before him, and when Paul appeared, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him bringing many serious charges against him, which they could not prove. Then Paul made his defense, I have done nothing wrong against the law of the Jews or against the temple or against Caesar this is how could Paul be more clear this is he's talked around things a lot but everyone knows it's kind of one of these cases everyone knows uh, you know it has nothing to do really so much anymore with whether this guy is innocent or guilty it has gotten bigger than that and it's like everyone knows that this I have not done any of these things so It's just a clear, simple, straightforward defense. But we find uh, Festus now trying to grease the wheels in this relationship with the Jewish leaders, wishing to do the the Jews a favor. He said to Paul, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there on these charges? So while uh, Festus, he won't be coerced, he's still very much would like to curry favor with these Jewish leaders, um, grease the gears between his administration and other political forces in the area. And he probably can sense that something about this request it is a bit off. Maybe their urgency, uh, their, you know, the, that they just want to get rid of this guy. But because Paul is a Roman citizen, he is accorded special legal rights. So instead of telling Paul, hey, this is going to happen, he poses this as a question to Paul Would you be willing? So Paul answers I am now standing before Caesar's court where I ought to be tried. I have not done any wrong to the Jews as you yourself know very well. If, however, I am guilty of doing anything deserving death, I do not refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. I appeal to Caesar. So, uh, let's see where we are at. Again, Paul, he's not above playing the cards he's dealt. He's not above using the citizenship that he's been given. And now they try to give Paul uh, enough rope to hang himself with. But he throws it back in their face, and he basically says, hey, if I've done the crime, I'm willing to do the time. But he says to Festus, you know very well, though, that I'm innocent. That's bold words. And no one has the right to try me in front of this kangaroo court. You need to send me to Caesar. So then Festus agrees after conferring with his council. You have appealed to Caesar. To Caesar you will go. And then our story goes on. A few days later, King Agrippa and his sister Bernice arrived at Caesarea to pay their respects to Festus. Since they were spending many days there, Festus discussed Paul's case with the king. So he's. Pretty, I guess this has become a topic of, of conversation. So this is Agrippa II. Now if you want to do an interesting family tree study, you look at the from Herod the Great and his descendants, and it's a mess. Uh, weirdness in the marriages, assassinations, um, uh, killing of uh, future descendants to wipe them out. I mean, this is, you just look at the nuts and bolts of this, and it's, it's uh, 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 the dysfunction is kind of mind-boggling. But this is a great-grandson of Herod the Great. We met his father, Herod Agrippa, uh, uh, the first time in Acts chapter 12, where he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And after he saw how much it pleased the Jewish leadership, Uh, He had Peter thrown in prison. Peter Peter then had uh, angelic uh, assistance in a jailbreak. And uh, uh, later on it says of Agrippa II's father um, that when he took divine uh, heirs, you know, the people were shouting, a voice of a god and not of a man, and he was just puffed up with pride. In that moment it says an angel struck him, and it says worms ate him and he died. Being eaten by worms is not a very nice way to go. Uh, So you would think certain lessons would be learned over the course of time in the family, but uh, maybe not all the time. So uh, that's this Agrippa II, the son of that guy, who is now uh, uh, trying this case. And then there's a sister, Bernice. There's another sister, Drusilla, who we met the week before as well, who was married to the governor, who was the governor before, Felix, before Festus. So it's confusing. Google this stuff. Do a little bit of search. Uh, It's interesting. There are nuggets there that we can learn. So let me move our story on, though. There is a man here whom Felix left as a prisoner. And when I went to Jerusalem, the chief priests and elders of the Jews brought charges against him and asked that he be condemned. I told them that it was not the Roman custom to hand over any man before he has faced his accusers and has had an opportunity to defend himself against their charges. When they came here with me, I did not delay the case but convened the court the next day and ordered the man be brought in. When his accusers got up to speak, they did not charge him with any of the crimes I had expected. Instead, they had some points of dispute with him about their own religion, and about a dead man named Jesus who Paul claimed was alive. I was at a loss how to investigate such matters, so I asked if he would be willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial there on these charges. And when Paul made his appeal to be held over for the emperor's decision, I ordered him held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear this man myself, and he replied, "Tomorrow you will hear him." You get the sense uh, that this case with Paul—it's a curiosity. These are weird charges. These are not the normal things that they're talking about and making decisions about. But it's still—it's almost like these powerful politicians that they're toying with people's lives and they're used to unilateral power uh, and it's almost a form of entertainment. And this is a unique enough case and maybe Agrippa II had enough, heard enough rumblings from family history uh, that he has some curiosity about Paul that he wants to see. So our text goes on and says, The next day Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking officers and the leading men of the city. At the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. So this pomp and this grandeur and uh, putting on a pretense, the very thing it seems that uh, his father was killed for, maybe his father's was worse, with taking on divine heirs. This Agrippa II, though, he, he's willing to, he, it's almost like he likes the show and he likes the celebrity status he has. Uh, he relishes that. He likes being the big deal of the folk. He likes when people stop and stand back and whisper about them and they come in with all of their showy things, whatever the pomp is related to, just their mannerism or their dress or whatever. Festus said, King Agrippa, and all who are present with us, you see this man, the whole Jewish community has petitioned me about him in Jerusalem and here in Caesarea, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. I found he had done nothing wrong, had done nothing deserving of death, but because he made his appeal to the emperor, decided to send him to Rome. But I have nothing definite to write his majesty about him. Therefore, I have brought him before all of you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that as a result of this investigation, I may have something to write, for I think it is unreasonable to send on a prisoner without specifying the charges against him. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself, So Paul motioned with his hands, quieting everyone down, I guess, motioned with his hands and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. All right, let me stop. So I'm not going to go on with Paul's defense. Uh, Maybe we'll look at that another time. But his defense is one of these defenses that, once again, is not much of a defense. His defense is not justifying himself, but rather his defense is the testimony to the goodness of of, Jesus, of God through Jesus Christ and talks about this road to Damascus uh, appearance. So it's, uh, once again, uh, it is the story of Paul's greatest zeal for the Lord, which when Jesus appeared, it became his greatest shame that he had been persecuting the people of God. And that in turn, that place of his greatest brokenness and shame became his greatest testimony to share with the world. And now he gets to share this testimony before kings. Um, And actually, Jesus prophesied about this uh, many years before this. Uh, This prophecy is about more than just Paul, for sure. But it definitely includes Paul. And that's the way biblical prophecy works. It's usually fulfilled on multiple levels, even on different times with different people and different circumstances. So look at these words from Luke chapter 21 from Jesus. They will hand they will lay hands on you and persecute you. They will deliver you to synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. This will result in, you, in your being witnesses to them. He's, Paul's been in synagogues. He's been in prisons. He's been before governors and kings. And he's on his way to go see Caesar. So this prophecy is being fulfilled that Jesus spoke is now being fulfilled in the life of the disciples. Uh, and especially, we can see this at work in Paul's life. But once again, Paul's defense is not so much a defense of himself, but a defense of what God accomplishes for the blessing of all creation through Jesus Christ. And while I don't have any big take-homes from our text this morning, I just, as I chewed on this and I said, okay, Lord, what do you want me to share with your people today about this section? You know, there's sometimes the way the verses fall... um, there's an, an easiest, easy, obvious message that comes to mind, the Lord helps me with. But this week, it was more like, what, what do we have here? What is the message here? And once again, I found myself asking the question, what am I struck by in this passage? I'm struck by the faith of Paul again and again and again. And so I want to invite us to consider his faith this morning. Uh, Paul time and time again, shows himself to be courageous. Uh, he shows himself to be wise in the way he discerns the circumstances of life around him. Time after time, Paul always seems to find the perfect words for the situation he's in. As a preacher, I envy that because I don't always have the perfect words, especially if they're, I'm having to think quick on my feet. But Paul always seems to have the perfect words in the perfect moment. It's almost like he's getting help or something. And uh, going back to Jesus' prophecy from Luke chapter 21, the second part of that is this, Make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. That's the second Part of that promise that's given there. And I thought, wow, you know what? That is exactly the way Paul is living. That's why his life has the quality of power that it has. It's this faith in the Lord and this dependence on the Lord and this co working together with the Spirit of the living God. That the power of this man's life is undeniable. And I thought, how can I describe a faith like that? And I thought, you know what? There's something childlike about the faith that Paul has, about his trust in the Lord. And so Paul's character of faith, you know, this is not just something that happened all at once. It's formed over the course of many years. Paul had been in the trenches for the Lord for many years as a missionary, as an apostle to the Gentiles. But his life, it becomes this important lesson that God is teaching us in these stories from Acts of the power a life can take on and become and uh, the, in the ways that our faith moves us to a place not where we're helpless and abandoned but where we stand with such confidence that we have power that this world just says is impossible you know how hard it is to stand up when you feel like you're alone in a situation To speak a word when you feel like something's not right it's hard it's hard to have that strength of conviction and sometimes we make mistakes doing it and sometimes we learn important, important lessons but there, if we do that from a place of faith the Lord honors that and he knows how he's going to use that So have you heard the term, a leap of faith, making a leap of faith? I think that's what Paul's doing here, but it's not just a blind leap. Hey, Sadie, you want to come up here and help me? Sadie, I saw you nodding off, so I'm going to pull you up in front of everyone. All right, come up here a second. Walk a little faster. Come on. All right. I've been your Baba for your whole life, right? Yeah. 18 years. All right. You trust me, right? Yeah. Yeah, she trusts me. She's really nervous right now. Okay, put your arms out at your side. I'm going to ask you to keep your feet there. Don't move your feet and fall down to the ground completely backwards. You ready? Whenever I'm going to catch you. Don't worry. I'm going to catch you. All right. Let me give you her phone back. She trusts her dad. That's good. So we usually think of a leap of faith as this blind, like, the abyss is below us. We're hanging on to the edge of the cliff as long as we possibly can before we drop off when we have no strength left and we fall into the abyss below. You know what a leap of faith is? It's not falling blindly into an abyss, into darkness. I thought, what's an image of what a leap of faith is for the for the disciple of Jesus Christ? And I think it looks a whole lot more like this. A whole lot more like this. This, this is the kind of Faith Paul has in his Lord Jesus Christ. That I can go, I can be bold. The Lord is going to give me the perfect words in this situation. I trust that. And I'm going to jump, and He's going to be there for me. My oldest daughter, Alicia, will remember this. Uh, we went can't remember if it was for the birth of Sadie. We went to Nairobi, and we stayed in a Baptist guest house, Hampton House, and they had this playground with some stairs going up to this platform that was oh, six feet plus off the ground. And Caitlin, she would climb those stairs. She's going to be married in less, in less than a month now, so we're going to go to Tennessee for that. But Caitlin would climb those stairs, and then she would just run and launch herself off of that platform and I would catch her and as she was coming down I would take her and I would swing her up in the air again and then she would be laughing and I would put her down and then she would run back to the stairs and do it again and again and she did this a bunch of times well then Alicia and I were talking and then we were a little bit ways away and then Caitlin we saw her out of the corner of eyes. We hadn't noticed. She climbed those stairs again, and she was up on that platform. And it's one of those moments where, as a parent, time seems to slow down because you see exactly what's going to happen. I know you moms know what I'm talking about. <laughs> that she was up there with a smile and goes running off the edge of that platform as Alicia and I were like, "Oh no! And she launches through the air. In her toddler mind she's not thinking my dad's not there to catch me her one thought was look at how much fun this is and she flies off the end of that platform down smack the sand on the ground her knees drive up into the bottom of her mouth she bites her tongue it bloodies her tongue and I just remember the helplessness I felt as a dad See, that's not what God is like. God, well, God is like me in the sense that He knows when we're hurting. He knows our need. He's going to be there to catch us no matter what. He knows how to always be there for us. But you know, my heart of the Father, the heart of the Father is always to protect His family, His children, and to be there. If the Father can take those hurts on himself, he would do it. I would do that in the moment to save my child or my wife from some kind of grief. I think that's part of what it means to be a spiritual head of a family, is this kind of love of protection that we give. So the heart of the Father is to protect, and when I was not able to do that, it broke my heart. But God's not like that because he is powerful enough to always be there to catch us. And He has the heart of love that goes deeper than anything we can even fathom or imagine that He will always be there to catch us. So I remember that about my daughter. And I think about the way God has always been there in my life to catch me. And a lot of times it wasn't the kind of catch I expected. Sometimes I didn't even know I was falling off the cliff. But yet here I am the Lord has brought me to this place. He's given me a place to stand and a word to speak. So, I thought that's what Paul's faith is like. That's the kind of trust that he has. So, this kind of brought me around to one of my favorite stories of the author, Henry Nowen. He wrote… About trapeze artists. And he talks about the flying Rodleys, and they performed in the German circus Siminet Barum. And he says, and I quote, when the circus came to Friedberg two years ago, my friends Franz and Rennie invited me and my father to see the show. And I will never forget how enraptured I became when I first saw the Rodleys move through the air, flying and catching as elegant dancers. The next day I returned to the circus to see them again and introduced myself to them as one of their great fans. And they invited me to attend their practice sessions. They gave me free tickets and asked me to dinner and suggested that I travel with them for a week in the near future. I did that, and we became good friends. One day I was sitting with Rodley, the leader of the troop, in his caravan. Talking about flying, he said, As a flyer, I must have complete trust in my catcher. The public might think that I am the great star of the trapeze, but the real star is Joe, my catcher. He has to be there with split-second precision and grab me out of the air as I come to him in the long jump. Well, how does it work, I asked. The secret is, Rodley said, is that the flyer does nothing and the catcher does everything. When I fly to Joe, I simply have to stretch out my arms and hands and wait for him to catch me and pull me safely over the apron behind the catch bar. You do nothing? I said, surprised. Nothing, Rodley repeated. The worst thing a flyer can do is to try to catch the catcher. I'm not supposed to catch Joe. It's Joe's task to catch me. If I grab Joe's wrists, I might break them, or he might break mine. And that would be the end of both of us. A flyer, a flyer must fly, and a catcher must catch. And the flyer must trust with outstretched arms that the catcher will be there for him. Now, one goes on to say, when Rodley said this with so much conviction, the words of Jesus flashed through my mind. Father, into your hands, I commend my spirit. See, God is more than just our catcher in Jesus Christ. He is the flyer and the catcher. To prove that our hope and our trust Is not misplaced. And so I think this says something about the kind of faith that Paul has. You know, everyone's at this kangaroo court. They all have this agenda. Uh, The Jews are there with this this death vendetta. The old guy is out who kept him in prison as a favor. The new guy's in wanting to prove himself, Festus. King Agrippa and Bernice come who love the celebrity and the big pomp of everything. And all this is going on. Everyone's playing these games. Everyone's trying to size each other up. Festus between the Jewish leadership. Uh, Festus between uh, the Felix, the guy who was before him, wanting to differentiate himself from the previous administration. I'm not like the guy who was before me. And then uh, between Festus and Agrippa, Agrippa and Bernice Cum, They're they're sizing each other up all of these political games and intrigues. And all that is going on. And the reason why Paul, in his life, has such power and conviction is because he's living more like this. Paul is like that little girl being caught in the arms of her father. See, this world is gonna play games. And as a disciple of Jesus Christ, the invitation for us is to play a whole other game. We're given a whole other game to play. It allows us to live with strength and conviction. And the world says, this is not even possible to live a life like this. And that's our testimony. This is the way I've been living. Let me tell you everything Jesus Christ has done for me all the ways he's caught me. And so, we, Rob, you can come on up. Our invitation is we can continue to ask questions like, what is it that turns Saul into a Paul? And Luke shows us what those things are. Acts is the story of the disciples of Jesus Christ leaping from bonds and fears and the tethers of this world, trusting the Holy Spirit is going to be there to catch us. That's the way we live our life in this world. It's not an easy thing to trust like that, but that's what we're invited to. Don't be afraid. Remember that you are a beloved child of God, the God who has your name written on the palm of his hand, the God who counts every hair on your head. He will be there when you make your long jump. He will always be there to catch you. Don't try to grab him. He will grab you. Just stretch out your arms and your hands and trust and then trust and trust some more. If you need the prayers of this church or would like to put the Lord on in baptism, you have an opportunity to respond to that invitation too and come up and talk to me about it as we stand and sing together. <clears throat> All right.